This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Take, for example, clearly in the Old Testament there, there were some laws given that God gave only to accommodate the people because they were not at the level where God wanted them to be. Let me explain. Divorce. Eh? Jesus, very clearly, in Mark chapter 10, uh, when, you know, <laughs> uh, someone come, came and said, well, Lord, Moses say that uh, if you divorce your wife, you give your wife a letter of repudiation. And then, that's it. What was Jesus' response? Jesus said, what? Moses gave you that law because of the what? Hardness. hardness of your heart. In other words, that's really accommodation. Condescending hardness. Could we have the mic working? Chief, thank you very much. Okay, is that better? Wonderful. All right, thank you. You, you just saved us, you know. My voice at the end of the day. Anyway, so... Uh, clearly then Moses gave that law and allowed by God unquestionably because of the hardness of their heart meaning we ought to be clear to make a difference then in the Old Testament between God's absolute will and God's permissive temporal circumstantial will am I being clear? so this is the reason why by the way we don't just believe a doctrine, because it is found just one. We take the whole Bible, including what Jesus said about it, to settle once for all. Another example. In the Old Testament, God did not want Israel to have a king. Clearly. I mean, it's clear. He even told, you know, Samuel, they are not rejecting you, they are rejecting me. God wanted a theocracy where he will be the king. But the people wanted to have, oh, now we want to have a king like the other nations. God said, go ahead. God even helped them in choosing the first one. It didn't work out well, but anyway. And God even warned them, you know, what the king will do. That's in the nature of human kings. They will do this, they will, you know, so is this really what you... Yeah, 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 we want to have a king like the other nations. And you know what happened afterwards. Right? So, uh, then I have to make a difference between God's absolute and... Uh, okay. Now, more specifically to your question about the wars, violence. God did not want Israel to be involved in any war or fighting whatsoever. Amen. If Israel was faithful. They did not have to fight. Actually, it is interesting. One of the most beautiful verses in the Old Testament is when God said to his people, you don't have to fight on this one. It's my battle, he says. Don't. But you know what happened, people? Because of unfaithfulness. So, in other words, Old Testament was a kind of theocracy. God leading his people 
gradually educating them. This, this was pedagogy, right? divine. Even the sanctuary, all those things are object lessons. Because God wanted to take his people, I mean, from a lack of knowledge of who he was to a point where they could finally be mature. So when Jesus came, he came to restore God's absolute will. God's absolute intent. See? So this is the, and violence, the same thing Jesus told his disciples. Put off your sword. Violence, no way. You would rather be hurt than to hurt people. How can, okay. Now, let me open a parenthesis. Just to show how Jesus' teaching is so profound. Okay? Uh, but I'm not going to go into those de- uh, details except to say this. Imagine, Buddhist. When you ask Buddhist, now I talked to you about the problem for Buddhism. They will say suffering, hatred, and greed. But if you ask Buddhists what are the solutions, they will talk about three things. Compassion, harmlessness, and wisdom. Now think about it. Harmlessness. That means what? Non-violence. So you Adventists with the everlasting gospel, comprehensive gospel, that cures all the ills of human existence. And this is what Ellen White says, by the way. The third angel's message, she says, I mean, is an antidote to all the woes and sorrows of this world. Okay? But you come to a Buddhist and you say, yeah, I'm, you know, I go to the military, I'm going to fight. You know, I'm going to defend. He will look at you and say, well, you are still then in the same cycle, perpetuating the same cycle of violence. We cannot be relevant to Buddhists. As I was telling you earlier, we cannot be relevant to Anabaptists, Mennonites, as long as we are... Now, of course, they are having their problems too because their young people now are getting into the military, these kind of things. Okay? But anyway, non-violence then is something that is just God's injunction and Jesus told his disciples very clearly Peter you know Peter tried to defend him by cutting the you know no 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 those who take the sword what will perish by the sword that it doesn't solve anything you know why do we have wars because you know we are just continuing the same cycle you win today, you kill, you know, I mean, you conquer a nation, but your turn will come. It is, it is just a cycle. Go throughout history. It's endless. There was a time the first world power was Egypt. Then after that, Assyrians. And then, <laughs> the Babylonians. And when they are on power, guess what? They would not, it would not cross their mind that their time will come to end. But that's history. It has to come to an end. And by the way, even if, if, if you don't believe it, believe Daniel chapter 2. It will come to an end. Regardless what power. Why? Because there's only one legitimate sovereign in the world, Jesus Christ. And he's going to come to claim it. You know, okay, guess what? Egypt, uh, the uh, Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, you know, uh, oh, and you remember for Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, 
he did not even want the statute, you know, to move from gold to no, 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 everything on gold. Because he does, I mean, when you have power, it's there. You don't want to lose it. And somebody said, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts what? Absolutely. Okay? It's just, that's just the, the nature of the great controversy. Why? Because Satan strives after power. That's it. I will ascend. You know, Ezekiel? You know, the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 14. Huh? Upon the stars of heaven. I'll be like the most high. It's not by chance. Okay? Now, uh, it's just, so then after that we have uh, the Medes and the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans, right? And then Byzantine Empire, remember? And then after that, of course, the, the Arabs. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And then you think about the Mongol, okay? the Turk, you name it, the European nations. Yeah? Today, the world power is America. But guess what? God is going to claim this, this world as belonging to him. It's going to come. That is why I'm an Adventist. I'm waiting for the advent of the one who will come and restore three things and that would be my... Uh, okay, shall I take maybe two, just five minutes to explain to you about my, my work? Second, that is the second question. Okay, just briefly, I need... Could I, uh, do I have something to erase the board? To just show them something. Briefly, thank you very much. All right. Okay. So, we're talking about revival and reformation, and I'm going to show the connection that it has also with my work somewhat. You know, uh, and then I will take just 30 minutes to talk about the topic about without which revival, reformation, prayer, uh, worship, or you name it, are absolutely meaningless. Okay. Uh, the United Nations, now I work since August 1st, I started officially, even though I started uh, in July really, but representing the church, that is the church has a, they call me sometimes ambassador, sent to represent the, Advent, the interest of Adventists to the United Nations. What does it mean concretely? I uh, make a case before world leaders that they benefit from having Adventists living in each one of their countries freely in practicing their faith because we are an asset to society. We are a blessing to people. So that is the case, you know, like just fundamentally in a nutshell. So meaning that we have to live our faith completely. And this is not just about the Sabbath. It's, you know, more comprehensive than that. Okay? Uh, now, so that is what I try to do. That means that, uh, just as an illustration, uh, when in a country, Adventists are having a difficulty, you know, when there's restriction of religious freedom, 
then I go and meet with the ambassadors of those countries, the leaders, and so forth, so on, making a case precisely that, I mean, presenting to them who we are. You know, because either you let other people inform other people about you, which, which is always a distorted image, or you become proactive by informing people about who you are. So my work is proactive most of the time, but sometimes we have to extinguish fire, as, you know, as I say, because you know, there are some crises, some problems. Hungary was the case. A few weeks ago, we met, we met the ambassador of um, Hungary to the, to, I mean, to the U.S., and also, the, I mean, I went to New York and met with the ambassador um, of Hungary to the, UN, uh, to the United Nations. Okay? And few, one week, uh, no, two weeks later, I met with the ambassador of Timor-Leste. Why? Because Adventists are, are having a difficult time in that country. You know, being persecuted, etc., etc., etc. Our church property even attacked, and you name it. So, since they have signed to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, then we can call upon them to live up to the values that they have embraced internationally. You know, so this is part of global affairs, basically. But just briefly, so that you have a hint of why this is important, this kind of work, uh, the United Nations, what is that? A coalition of nations, they are based on three pillars. The whole edifice of the United Nations is based on three pillars. The first one is security. Okay? Development. And then the third pillar, human rights. Okay? Now, why security? <laughs> because think about the state of global affairs. And, and I think this is really important as we think about revival and reformation we should have the global picture also at the same time. That is, um, the, United, the, the, the Universal Declaration of the Human Rights was adopted June 10, 1948. Why? After World War II. Millions of young people in Europe, young people, decimated. Catastrophe. And by the way, before that you have World War I. Same tragedy. And in that same context, you have the Holocaust. So nations decided, no more. No more. So let's create something. So the first, you know, security. Second, uh, by the way, and peace. Meaning, the United Nations, they now mediate peace, try to, you know, to uh, resolve conflicts and so forth. So that's one. And then development, meaning <laughs> how people... How can we be secure or in peace if people continue to live in poverty, if they don't have enough resources? So interestingly, and again, this is not a lecture on the United Nations, this is not the time for, for that here, but they have uh, even <laughs> just recently 4 billion put in place to what they call mill uh, Millennium Development Goals eight of them. Do you know what they are? And I'm going to tell them to you. The reason being is that we Adventists, we are involved in many of those. For, for example, the first millennium development goal is to eradicate extreme poverty and hunger. The second one 
is to achieve universal primary education. You know, we have an education uh, you know, system worldwide. The third millennium goal is to uh, promote gender equality and uh, empower women. We have some ways to go with that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I see you smiling. Fourth development uh, goal is to actually uh, reduce child mortality rate. Fifth, to improve maternal health. Okay? And notice, we are involved in many of these. And incidentally, just a parenthesis, some of our agencies, you know, relief agencies, receive even fundings for some projects. ADRA, 20 million from the UN, and I mean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, then the sixth is to combat HIV, AIDS, malaria, and other diseases. Okay, then the seventh is to ensure uh, um, um, environmental sustainability. And then finally, to develop global partnership for development. Those are the eight millennium development goals that they try to achieve. By the way, they had a deadline, 2015, they will not reach it. I was just reading an article a few weeks ago saying it's not going to happen. But, but they're trying, and some things are done, okay? Human rights. Even human rights, by the way, interestingly, based on three pillars. And who would say no to these three pillars as Adventists? The first one, human dignity. Human dignity. Individual freedom. Or liberty. And then finally, personal equality. <laughs> Who would say no to this? Right? Now, I'm talking about the pillars. This is pillar number three. Interestingly, if... Now, my work concentrate a lot on individual liberty, that is, freedom, including what they call the three freedom. Three. At the time when the United Nations were created in uh, uh, 1948, the Universal Declaration, they were talking about the four freedoms. But again, let me just mention to you the three about hum uh, individual liberty here. One, two, three. By the way, have you noticed? Three, three, three. That's just a good way to remember. I like mnemonic devices. Freedom from want, freedom from fear, and freedom to live in dignity. Freedom from want, that's basically that people will have enough resources, you know, food to eat and so forth. Poverty eradicated, in other words. And then the second one would be freedom from fear. That pe you know, no more conquests. No more wars. Because of the devastation and what it creates among people. Okay? Now, and then freedom to live in dignity. We Adventists have even our name, Seventh Day Adventist. The first part of our name refers to creation, Seventh Day. And we remember about, you know, people talk about the Seventh Day just about the Sabbath, but they forget about that aspect of the human dignity. Man and woman created in God's image. That's even, I mean, you know, as important. 
Uh, okay, but that's another topic. Now, question. And I'm, I'm still responding too long to your f- one question, I mean second one, which is the following. Can Adventists, this is happening in the world from a global perspective, can Adventists be absent here? Or can, do we have something to say? And notice, fundamental values such as freedom, Justice, peace. Do we have something to say about this? Or do we not? You see, this is the issue. We know Jesus talked about freedom. Jesus talked about justice. Jesus talked about peace, by the way. I give you peace, not as the world gives, he says. But I give you what? My peace. You see what I'm saying? If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. He spoke about freedom like nobody else ever. So can we keep silent? You see what I'm saying? And we know that the world is not going to achieve peace. Poverty will still exist. Let's face it. Now, this is not being uh, fatalistic, negative. No. Actually, Adventists, even though we are connected to creation, and our second, uh, you know, the second part of our name, Adventist, talks about the end, you know, a future world, you know, uh, <laughs> still we are engaged in making this world a better place for many people. Basically, the United Nations' overarching goal is to make this world a better place. We Adventists, we say, we will fully cooperate. We will do that. We are doing that anyway. That's part of our DNA. Think, think about our medical work and, and so forth and so on. But we also prepare people for the world to come. Not just this one. This is why we are Adventists. We are waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's beautiful. Okay? Now, if you notice very clearly here, then we have some things to say about this. Now, I'm going to take a few minutes to just show you why it is important that we engage the world with these values. And there are more, of course. But I'm going to choose this one, justice. Just by chance. Why? Because revival and reformation is connected to it. So let me uh, change slide here. Take another presentation and share this briefly with you. Okay. Uh, Okay. So bear with me. I'm going to, uh, if you, I want you to remember, basically in a nutshell, that revival and reformation without righteousness is presumption. Okay? In other words, what God really wants is righteous people. But righteous people, we are not righteous because, because of us, but because of Jesus Christ. His righteousness that he imputes and share with us. Now, the, uh, what matters most to God? Uh, let me just move on here to start. Okay. Uh, interestingly, 
you'll be surprised to know that major what major world religions are looking for is found in the Bible. And that happens to be what matters most to God. If you ask Muslims, what is the most precious value of your religion? You know what they say? They call it taqwa. And taqwa means what? Piety or righteousness. Hindus, they are also looking for righteousness. Judaism, <laughs> guess what? This was Paul's engagement with Jews at the time. You seek righteousness from the law, but righteousness comes from Christ, he would argue with them. Okay? So, but there is an element then in our faith without which all other things end up being futile. All other things, including prayer, including worship. Okay? Now, Worship is not enough. Prayer is not enough. By the way, I wrote this, so it's not, it's, it's not connect, uh, you know, some time ago now, probably uh, a year and a half to two years ago. So it's not connected to, you know, necessarily GIC or, or whatever is said here. Okay, so I'm not polemical, I'm not, you know, this is something I wrote a long time ago. But I'm sharing it with you because I think it's worth Considering worship is not enough, prayer is not enough, rituals and rites are useless if what really matters to God are not taken into consideration. And now, this takes me clearly in the New Testament. Look at what the Apostle Paul said. He said, circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision, sorry for the S, is nothing. What matters to God is what? To be a new creation. He said that. So that's one of the definitions of what to God. He also says, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So another deep Christian value then would be what? Faith working through love. Actually, this is very simple. Any one of you can do this. You go to the Bible to locate what is it that really matters to God. Right? Huh? Uh, another in... Uh, <laughs> 1 Corinthians 7 I think I will need to have a more up, updated uh, because this is taking me too much okay listen to this third one circumcision is what? nothing uncircumcision is nothing what matters is the keeping of God's commandments you see, as Adventists, we could just stop here and, you know, take these gems and say, hey, this is really what matters to God. So then let's focus on it. Right? Okay. But let's, let me take you one step further, though. Okay. I want to take you, basically, to the 8th century before Christ. Why the 8th century before Christ? It is an important time. Actually, a tragic time. Uh, let me use the board uh, one more time, quickly. Okay. I think we will be fine.
I have the same problem. Right. Okay. Let me sh just... You see this line here? See it as the line of history. Welcome. No problem. Even 11th hour people are welcome here. <laughs> okay, think about it. Think about a line. I say there are two very important dates in the history of Israel. 722 and then 586. Now, God said to the prophet Amos, okay, he said to the prophet Amos the following, God does not do anything without first revealing what? His secrets to his servants the prophet. Okay? So before 722, what was 722 all about? Well, 722 is simply the end of Israel, of northern Israel, of the ten tribes. So before the end, guess what? God decides that he wants to warn his people to bring them back to the covenant before it was too late. So he sent several prophets. First, in 760, he sent the prophet Amos. 753, he sent the prophet Hosea. 740, he sent the prophet Isaiah. 725, now notice we're getting close, right? He sent the prophet Micah. If you read these books, they tell us the conditions before the end. Right? Same thing happened before the end of Judah. God sent several prophets. Six, well, he sent Zephaniah. Uh, it was 640. Then Jeremiah, 628. Then you remember Daniel, exile, 605. Ezekiel, even, 597. By the way, there's no merit on this. When I used to teach, I used to tell my students, they, they had to remember the dates of all the, you know, the history of all the kings of Israel and so forth and so on. That's normal. It's no big deal. It's no big deal to ask those who study medicine, you know, to remember some of the formulas to give the right prescriptions, right? I mean, you know. So the same thing here. Uh, so in, uh, of, of interest, notice. But here is my point. Before the end of Israel, God sent what? Prophets. Before the end of Judah, God sent prophets. Before the end of the world, guess what? God again sends prophets. This is who we are as Adventists. Mm -hmm. A people of prophets. That's why revival and reformation is a must. It's non-negotiable. 
because of our prophetic mission. And by the way, I say every Adventist. Not experts so-called or uh, you know, professional preachers. No, no, no. Everyone. And then White is very clear about that. But that's another presentation actually. Now, let me let's enter the world of the book. So, now we are what? Amos, what date? Who remembers? 760. So God is preparing his people to be ready. Now, can I just, just in case I don't have time to go through everything. No problem if you like to enter. No, no problem. So, before, uh, just let me tell you the story. And then I will show it to you, just in case we don't have enough time. Okay? So, the book of Amos has nine chapters. And the book of Amos begins, interestingly... Two chapters talking about violations of international laws. In the Bible they are called, you know, the United Nations did not start it. About talking about human rights. What happened then was indictment against some nations, you know, Gaza, Tyre, same nations today. You know what I'm saying? Syria and so forth, because of violations of human freedom, violations of human rights. Slavery, even lack of compassion. You know, when you read the book of Amos, the, two, the first two chapters, well, let me just give you a, a, a taste, so that you can, you can see what I'm talking about, why I say violations of, of uh, human rights here. Oh, okay. Uh, it starts this way. First, Oracle, okay, mm-hmm. verse 3, thus says the Lord, for three, for three transgressions of Damascus, now notice it starts with what? Syria. And for four, I will not re- revoke it, its punishment. Why? Because they have threatened Gilead with threshing uh, threshes of iron, so I will send a fire on the house of Hazael, uh, and it shall devour, etc., etc., what was the problem? These people, they came to conquer territory, you know, war, conquest, basically. God says that is a violation of human rights. Okay, next. For three transgression of, as of, of Gaza, and for four, I will not re- re- revoke the punishment. This is verse 6. Why? Because they exile, in, they carried into exile entire communities. What is that? Huh? You know, and ethnic cleansing. Do you know there are today some areas in the world where entire population, you heard it, even in Sudan, depopulated, so that, you know, they can come and plunder the riches, and you name it, etc., etc., etc. So God is judging, this. there's nothing new in this world. Nation back then. Okay, uh, for three transgression of Tyre and for four I will not revoke because they delivered entire community to Edom and did not remember, uh, remember the covenant of brotherhood so God hold nations into accountability okay now and I could continue but no time then when you continue <laughs> when you continue uh, chapter when we get closer you know now 
not only violations of international law, but violation of divine law, Judah, God's people. That's the end of chapter 2. You see, he starts with the nation surrounding Israel. He comes to Judah, you know, say, because you have... Now, notice, notice, just, this is amazing. You know, you have everything in Scripture. And this is why we are Adventists, you know. And, uh, you know, there was a time when even Sabbath school is to study the Bible. But Sabbath school is, a, you know, report about people's opinions about anything. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be sarcastic, you know. That's not the point. But, but I mean, really. We, I come to Sabbath school, it's about, okay, what I think. And if people don't understand, you know, I'm even, I don't even bother listening to the sermon anymore because I'm angry. They didn't listen to my opinion. And you know what I'm saying? Terrible. And where are these, this should be a place where we study the Bible to discover God's perspective, God's way, God's mind, God's, you know. Uh, I mean, okay. Think about this. Here, he, he very clearly, then he started with Judah. Say, for three transgression of Judah and for four, I will not re- revoke its punishment. Why? What's the problem? Because they have what? Chapter 2, verse 4. Anyone? They have despised the law of God. So not only despising international law, this time this is, just, this is directly divine law. Why? Because these people are people of the covenant. Okay? Then, now notice, and then he moves from Judah and then finally moves to Israel. Okay? Now what was the problem in Israel? Again, the covenant this time, more specifically. Uh, just briefly, it was a time of prosperity in Israel. King Jeroboam II. Wow. Prosperity. Now, how would I know prosperity? Is it because I read some books about, you know, the historical circumstances? No. It's because all the information you need to know is here in this book. How would I know they were prosper? Well, simple. This book talks about people in Israel who had summer houses and winter houses. Now, you know, poor people don't even have a house. Let, let alone, you know, winter house when it's too hot. And then summer house when it's... Is it so? Other way. It is the other way. So when it's too warm, you go to your winter house. No, and summer house. You go to your summer house. Okay? Why? Because the summer house, the temperature would be what? Okay. And when it's too uh, cold... You go to your winter house. Winter house. Are you sure, or is it the opposite? Huh? It is the other house. <laughs> okay. No, but you know, you know the point is, when it's too hot, they have a place, a cooler place. When it's too warm, uh, you know they have a cooler place. No, no, is that the opposite? Huh? Okay. <laughs> no. So when it's too hot they have a cooler place. And when it's too cold, they have a warmer place. That's a safe way to, you know, to engage all this. Okay, but what does it mean? That they were rich. And by the way, they, in those houses, we are told in the book of Amos, these were houses even of ivory. You know that is not a house of poor people. So they were, they were rich. 
end, not only this were they rich, but also they, I mean, okay, they liked entertainment. Chapter 6 talks about that. And also, these people, they were at ease in Zion. Chapter 6 tells us that too. But there's a, there were other problems. Oh, sorry. They were very religious. So they were rich, but they were doing the right rituals. Everything seemed to be fine. Right? I mean, they pay tithe every three days. And the text says they love to do that. I mean, think about it. Chapter 4. Very clearly saying this. Hmm? <laughs> Come to battle. Now, the prophet is like sarcastic here. Come to Bethel and transgress. To Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning. They used to do that. Eh? Your tithe every three days. Bring a thank offering of leavened bread. Proclaim free will offering. Publish them, for you love to do so. So these, they were religious, in other words. Religious. And we will see tomorrow in the book of Revelation, you find churches working so well. Persevering, doing great things. But Jesus said, I will remove you from there. Laodicea, rich, I don't need anything. You know, we talked about revival and reformation. Now, uh, um, uh, interesting, here, these people, they thought everything is fine. And when you go to the book of Hosea, same vocabulary or same language as the book of Revelation. We are rich, you know, we don't need anything. Not even God. But they were religious. So, and not only that, the prophet Amos, you know he comes from the south, Judah. He was sent to the north, Israel. Restriction of religious freedom. By the way, that's part of my work. Talking about that question earlier. In 75% of the nations, there are restrictions of religious freedom. There are today 200 million Christians persecuted around the world. Now, nothing new in the book of Amos. The prophet Amos himself, when he went to the north, a priest, Amaziah, threatened him. Say, hey, see go south. <laughs> Why? Go back. And there, eat your bread. Because, you know, they were considered professional prophets. But Amos said, you know what? I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet. I was actually, you know, I mean, cultivating sycamore and so forth, shepherd uh, from the Nokadim, and God told me, go, to tell my people. <laughs> but Amaziah wanted to restrict his religious freedom to go no, north. Say no. In this setting, in this setting, and actually we are here, the end of Israel. Before the end. So God sent Amos. They, wanted, they didn't want to listen to. Before the end of the world. The same situation. And I'm going to come back to that. But here. What did Amos tell them? <laughs> this was shock therapy. Now notice. We will all be happy with these people. Oh they are so giving. Look at the tithe. Look at the money. The church is rich. Look at the offering after GYC, Sabbath. Look at the offering after 
uh, what is the name of the other organization that we meet once a year? You know, ASI. Wow! Wonderful! Marvelous! All those things good. Excellent. But not good enough. If revival and reformation is not part of the thing. Now, uh, Amos had to wake up these people. But how to do that? You know how he did it? And by the way, before I even tell you that, (laughs) the way he did it, he just had to tell them that there is no escape. That this is the end. It's the end. And these people could say, but look how faithful we are. We're giving, we're sensitive, we're praying. But I must say, listen, he started telling them a story. You know what kind of story he was telling them? This is weird actually, sorry to use this word. But Amos is telling them about their funeral before their actual death. He was describing their funeral. I mean, chapter 5, listen. Hear this word I take over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen, no more to rise, is maiden Israel forsaken on her land and no one to raise her up. These people were alive. And, 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 and by the way, I must say, you know, the city that marches out a thousand shall have hundred left. What is that? Military defeat. Which march out a hundred shall have ten left. And these people were really Adventists. In a sense that they were waiting for the day of the Lord. And Amos says, the day of the Lord, why are you waiting for the day of the Lord? It will be gloom, not light. He says. You know? I mean, look at this. Chapter 5, verse 18. I'm not saying anything, by the way, that I deduce from... No, no. Uh, look. Chapter 5, alas. This is a lamentation. For you who desire the day of the Lord. They were Adventists. Okay? Why do you want the day of the Lord? He says to them. It will be darkness, not light. And then he tells them a parable. It's like a lion. I mean, you know, someone fleeing from a lion. In, in, in other words, you meet a lion, right? You, 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 wow, the lion is want to kill you? You succeed to escape, right? Wow. And then next you meet a bear. This is challenging, right? For those from Canada, right? And then, <laughs> but anyway, you, the, the person succeeds to escape. Finally reaches home. And guess what? Lean on the wall. Probably gasping to recuperate his breath. Oh, save. And finally there, right there, a serpent bites him. So this was Amos' way to tell them no escape. Especially, now remember, we're talking about complacent people who thought they got it all together. God is on their side. Nothing is going to happen to them. Chapter 9, they say calamity will not reach us. Everything is fine. You know? <laughs> and then uh, uh, he, here, let me just read this quick. Um, and then, okay, uh, verse 18. Alas, for you who desire the day of the Lord, why do you one the day of the Lord, it is darkness, not light. As if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear and went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. It, is it not the day of the Lord, darkness, not light, gloom with no brightness in it? And then listen to this. Why I was telling you prayer is not enough. 
you know, we talk about the giving of the tithes, uh, offering every three days, and all those things. And verse 21, and it's rare to find in the Bible God speaking this way. But he says, I hate, I despise what? Your? Yes, feast days, festivals. Hmm? And I take no delight in your assemblies. Even though you offer me uh, your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. The offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away, now, 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 you come to church, you sing your beautiful hymn, God says, take away from me the noise of your songs. That's not flattering, right? But this is exactly what happened. Uh, and then why? I will not listen to the melody of your harps. Why? But, let what? Justice roll down like water. And righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In other words, for God, what mattered was this justice and righteousness. Without which, and he could say the same thing today, your offerings and all those things, I don't care, God says. What I really do care about is justice and righteousness. And remember, the time the people were trampling even over the poor, neglecting, I mean, uh, take the time to read, you know, we will not have time to go through all that here. But it is fascinating to see. Uh, uh, let me just run through this quickly to give you a summary. You, see, you can see signs of, okay, the book of Amos begins, you know, with the oracle against the nations. I mentioned that, okay? But the focus is ultimately on God's people. What do we find there? Signs of prosperity. Apparently things were going very well, especially for the leaders. Huh? They prospered. They were rich. The book of Amos reports that among God's people there were winter houses. I mentioned that. So I'm just recapitulating so that you will not miss this. Beds of ivory were available. There were even houses of ivory, obvious signs of wealth. Then, what do we have? Moreover, time for entertainment was part of their living. I should say sophisticated living. Best food, best ointment, best musical creativity. Nothing new. This is a typical, like a case study from the Bible. And then, look at this. Signs of religiosity. They were very religious, right? I mentioned that, so I can move on. Uh, the sanctuary. People used to go there to worship. Rituals, you know, returning tithe and... Uh, three days, but however, they did not return to God themselves. Isn't it amazing? And by the way, chapter 3 tells us about, in chapter 4, natu so-called natural calamities. And God said, I even used that, so that to wake you up, but you didn't care. God says, I make rain in one city, and there's famine in, an, in, an, you know, in another. But you didn't learn, you didn't make the connection. Remember, the goal for the prophet was to wake up these people so that they realized there was something here. And then, think about this. They were expecting the day of the Lord. I mentioned that, right? It, they thought it was going to be in their favor. Oh, God is going to defeat our enemies. Everything is going to be fine. They were at ease. They considered themselves the chief of the nation, better than any other nation. And sometimes, you know, some Adventists may be thinking this way too. Paradoxically, they were expecting the day of the Lord, confident it was going to, but no, God disagreed and gave a bleak assessment of their situation. 
signs of self-deception. By the way, God said, told them their sins. There were many. The time is described as an evil time in chapter 5 verse 13. God's people did not see it that way. They thought everything is fine. They were plagued by the sin of pride, arrogance, idolatry and self-deception. Now notice what Ellen White says about the indulgence that need, that necessitates rather a revival and a reformation. At the time, same problem. Okay? They thought that God was blessing them. <laughs> they believed that no calamity could reach them. Even though they were plagued by injustices, they were, they were uh, perpetuating, they were confident that all is well, God is with them. The catalogue of sins, you know, there, pride, arrogance, delusion, idolatry, chronic complacency. We find all this in the book of Amos. Now, Judah, God's people from the south, were charged of despising even the law of the God. I, I, I mentioned that. They were exploiting the... You know, these are the people, interestingly, in the book of Amos, in particular chapter 8, they were eager to wait for the Sabbath to end. You know, and you find that sometime among us. You know, so revived people who, uh, I mean, <laughs> would not have this kind of a mindset. Oh, when is the Sabbath ending so that I can do, you know, chapter 8. Nothing new. You know, so something happened. Their determination to soothe their conscience. They tried to get the prophet, you know, not to, uh, not to speak. They gave wine to the Nazarite. And by the way, all I'm doing here, you could do. How? By reading. This is the short book of nine chapters. So think about it. You go to Micah, you do the same thing, etc., etc., etc. You know, uh, I mentioned this one too. God said, I hate your feast days and so forth. Okay? Uh, their self-deception was so deep uh, that even natural calamities, they will not you know, it will not bring, uh, you know, their spirituality. Hmm? The priests wanted the prophet to go north, uh, to go south rather, because Amos was a danger to him. So Amos announced the end. So we Adventists also, we announced that Jesus is coming to end a world of suffering. It's a radical message, yes. Because, and many people don't want to hear it, by the way. But, it's from God. No escape. I talk about that to shake the complacency of these people. You know, I could continue. But I think you get the point in this. God wanted righteousness. And righteousness is defined in various ways, even in the book. Chapter 1, righteousness is also respecting international laws. Righteousness is also respecting God's law. Righteousness is treating people right. Interestingly, uh, there are two words in, um, in uh, Hebrew for, that usually people put together in the Bible, justice and righteousness. They go together, often in the Old Testament. However, uh, Mishpat is justice in a sense of retributive justice, meaning someone does something wrong, the person receives, you know, um, basically a retribution. 
because of that wrong. And correspondingly, if someone does something right, you give, you know, reward that person. But that concept of justice is retributive, kind of. However, in the Bible there is another kind of justice, that is distributive justice. Where you give, you know, like, okay, uh, some people don't understand this, but if you give something to the poor in Israel, you have not done anything extraordinary. You know why? Because you don't own anything. Even the land, God is God's land. Property is God's property. Everything you have is... So when you give to the poor, you are basically being God's agent. You are doing justice because God wants to take care of the poor, the orphans, the, you know, He is the one who wants to defend those people who need justice. He is the God of justice. This is an amazing idea, by the way, because we never then should be proud of, oh, I'm doing this now, I'm a philanthropist. Now, in Israel, <laughs> by the way, this is why when Israel was not faithful to, to the covenant, he could be expelled from the land because it is God's land. So this world is God's world. We can be expelled from it any time, by the way. But, he decides to collaborate with us. And that is justice. So, righteousness is... So this is why he says, but let righteousness roll like an ever-flowing stream. Because God cares about people. You know? But this righteousness is from God. Because God is the righteous one. He's the only righteous person. So, you want to be revived. That will show in the way you relate to people. In the way you care about people. And it's beautiful, by the way. Because if that doesn't happen, you know, we just, like Laodice said, de- deceiving ourselves. Everything is fine. We're doing all the right things. But God says, no, there's more than that. Embrace my character. My righteousness. So, uh, interestingly, the book of Amos, at the heart of the book, is this statement, the Lord is his name, Yahweh. Uh, let me finish this, so that we can have time for prayer. Just to, to mention, and by the way, have you noticed the book of Amos talks about the cosmic signs also? The famine on earth, people going here and there, okay. But I'm not going to spend too much time just to mention this. The goal of the covenant between God and Abraham was for the purpose of teaching his descendants God's justice and righteousness. Genesis 18.18. 18. Micah says, what the Lord requires of you is what? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly before God. Again, justice idea. The 70 week prophecy, what was it all about? Because the Messiah was going to bring everlasting what? Righteousness. Okay? Okay. Think about, think about the following. Jesus, seek ye first God's kingdom and what? His righteousness. So Jesus is clear about this. If righteousness is, the, is what qualifies us to enter the kingdom, the goal of atonement, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Actually, the last warning of the book of Revelation is, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. 
He who is what? Unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. So this matters to God. You know, and then, so, uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, about, uh, you know, defining righteousness and so forth, just to tell you, God is a righteous God. You know, uh, uh, and uh, let me just say this, uh, finish with this idea here about, you see, righteousness then is living in harmony with God's character and will. Only Jesus has done that. Only God has lived a perfectly righteous life. This, of course, does not excuse anybody's shortcomings, inadequacies of sin or, or sins. The gift of God to us is righteousness by faith. We live in righteousness by faith by attaching ourselves to the person of God in Jesus Christ. This is the grace and truth that Jesus brought. This is why he has come to reveal God, Yahweh, the righteous one. So we can see clearly here, friends, that ultimately God is the righteous one. But he wants us to join him in what he wants to do. Uh, I have more things to share about why God is righteous and what does it mean in treating other people. Uh, why, uh, why is it important to his character? Right relations with others. Even if others, even if others do not deserve it. Even if others become our enemies, it does not excuse us. Because Christianity is a decision to treat people right regardless. <laughs> Now, it's not easy, it's not natural, but it is God's way. Think about it. It is God's way. Uh, one idea that is, you know, remarkable, when you think about it, God treats people in a way that will elevate them to be better people. That's what he wants to do with us. Even when that means to love. Think about this. Love your enemies. The, when Jesus talks about righteousness, he starts, if your righteousness does, does not surpass that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, you shall by no means enter God's kingdom. Right? He starts like that. And then he said, you have heard. You know, people say, don't kill. But Jesus say, don't be angry even against your brother. That whole antithesis ends with this climax. You have heard that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus said, but I tell you, not only to love your enemies, uh, to love your neighbor, but to love your enemies. There's no religion that talks about that. Because that is who God is. God is love. So, if you are revived, really truly, then you become a loving person. A person who loves after God's love. So I pray that really His righteousness be with us. <laughs>
and that we live out that in loving relationship even those who do not deserve it why because i did not deserve anything but god showed his favor his grace towards me this message was recorded by fountain view productions for gyc gyc a supporting ministry of the seventh day adventist church seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.